Today we turn together in the Word of God to 1 John 4, verses 17 to 19. And then also, if you could put your finger in Matthew 6, we will read verses 25 through 34. There's an outline as well on page 4. Hear now God's Word. By this is love perfected with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. Because as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon, in all his glory, was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow will be thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God remains forever. Before he died in 2019, David Paulison would sometimes contrast a biblical worldview with a godless worldview. He would take a psalm, like Psalm 131, and he would give you the opposite of it. Here it is, the anti-Psalm 131. Self, my heart is proud. I'm absorbed in myself, and my eyes are haughty. I look down on other people, and I chase after things too great and too difficult for me. So, of course, I'm noisy and restless inside. It all comes naturally, like a hungry infant fussing on his mother's lap. Like a hungry infant, I'm restless with my demands and worries. I scatter my hopes onto anything and everybody 
all the time. What does the real Psalm 131 say? O Lord, my heart is not lifted up. My eyes are not raised too high. I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me. But I have calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother. Like a weaned child is my soul within me. Loved ones, what are the root causes of our anxiety and worry? What does this teach us about who God is and who we are in Christ? What does discipleship look like for us as citizens in God's kingdom? Sinclair Ferguson says this, Knowing God as our Heavenly Father delivers us from a spiritual plague that is common. Worry, anxiety, and fear. We want to look at what that means today in God's Word. As we do so, I want to commend to you Table Talk, our sprawl before he died, and now those who have continued this magazine, May 2021. There are tremendous articles that I'll be quoting from throughout here today. First, the diagnosis of fear and anxiety. As one Table Talk article says, anxiety is elusive. Some people are so anxious they end up in the back of an ambulance. Others hardly ever notice it. Some have anxiety to the degree that it makes them hard, hard for them to do the work they have before them. It's all across the board. And up front, we need to dispel some myths about anxiety. Here are four myths. One, anxiety is just a lack of trust in God. That's a myth. Two, anxiety is all in your head. That's not true. We are body and soul. Three, anxiety is just spiritual. So that myth would say, just read the Bible and pray more and it'll go away. Not true. Four, anxiety is sin. Because our whole bodies are affected by sin, body and soul and mind, sin will always be a part of what we do, what we struggle with. Sin can make us anxious. The effects of sin can make us anxious. Our fallen bodies can struggle with anxiety regardless of how strong our faith is. We can sin in our anxiety, yes, but anxiety itself may or may not be the results of a particular sin. Do you know the most common command in the Bible? Do not be afraid. Over 300 times. And Ed Welch says, when God uses these words, do not be afraid, they're not a word of rebuke. They are words of comfort from our compassionate Father who's wanting to draw near to us when we're afraid. Fear is a time when our faith in God's promises by the Holy Spirit can grow. Fear and anxiety then express our frailty and they are afflictions that many are struggling with because we're living in a fallen world. This world is a scary place. So if you are fearful and anxious, God says, 
I know your struggle. Jesus says, I am compassionate and sympathetic to you. This word of Jesus in Matthew 6 is a word of tenderness. He knows our frailty. What then is not sinful anxiety? Well, a proper care of earthly concerns. Paul said he had anxiety for the churches, meaning he cared for them. We care for our children. We care about our health, about the church, about the world, that this is our Father's world. Caring for these things is not sinful anxiety. Where then did anxiety come from? Well, the source of anxiety is the fall. Right after Adam and Eve sinned, what does it it say that they did? They tried to hide from God because they were afraid. And the fall has affected all of us and all of our being, body and soul. Because we live in a fallen world, one secondary source of anxiety is human biochemistry. There are physical and hormonal imbalances in some people that can cause them to be anxious. It's said that about 18% of Americans have this chemical imbalance in their brain. So they have a clinically diagnosed anxiety disorder. That means therapy can help. Certain medicines may help. You may have a really good experience with medicine or you may have a bad experience. You have to recognize that we are very complicated creatures. Our brains are subject to the effects of the fall. So our danger-sensing systems can be off. Post-traumatic stress is a real thing for many people. Panic attacks. One person writes that concerning ordinary things that others would have some anxiety about, this person says, when I start to think about them, a loop of anxiety begins in my mind. I replay catastrophic events dozens of times a day. I can't make it stop. This sense is relentless. It comes with physical effects, shortness of breath, increased heart rate, exhaustion. Social anxiety disorder is real. Mental illness is real. One pastor said, I have social anxiety disorder. Did I inherit it? Did I learn it? I don't know. But he says, my brain warms me. I'm in trouble. I rehearse conversations in my head. My heart races. Sometimes I don't eat. I wake up in the middle of the night having conversations in my mind over and over. My mind says everything's okay. God is on the throne. But my brain attacks me. During conversations, he says, I start to think in my head, you're such an idiot. Why'd you say that? They're going to hate you. This is real. He struggles with it. Herman Bovink, a pastor in years past, would vomit before he preached every sermon. This pastor says, one of my earliest memories was being terrified of trying out the slide as a kid. My parents didn't know what to do, and they spanked me until I would go down. It's tragic. It's painful, and it's real. Loved ones, the curse on this world is real. This pastor says, 
everything I worried about actually happened. People do horrible things in this world. Brain damage is a real thing. And this reminds us, as we look at Matthew 6, that not all anxiety is because of a failure to listen to this text. We have to to realize that. There are many different complexities. What is Jesus saying here then? Three times he says, do not be anxious. He's talking about our hearts. And he's talking about something that's so hard to define. How would you define anxiety? An emotion? Yeah. Nervousness? Yeah. Fear, apprehension, all those things. But it's physical as well as emotional. The Greek word helps us for anxiety. It means care, one word, and drawn in different directions. So it is to have a distracting care, to be pulled apart, to have our attention put somewhere else. It's to have our mind and heart torn between two worlds. Anxious cares can form like a cataract over our eyes. So all we see is this thing that we're afraid of. There's many forms of this. This may come in terms of fixation, where someone thinks about something and they can't stop thinking about it. They are fearful and worried about it. It becomes preoccupation, where we neglect other duties at times because of this. It can become imbalance, where we're so anxious about this thing, other things that are important have to be done, but we can't do it, and it's a real struggle. Another part of anxiety means to be busy, overburdened, like Jesus talking to Mary and Martha. Do you remember that? Where we read that Mary was sitting at Jesus' feet listening, and Martha was exasperated, doing all the work. Jesus, tell her to help out. Come on, give a sister a hand. Jesus says, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things. What happened there? One writer says this, Martha became consumed with the good and lost sight of the best. She was hard at work serving Jesus, but she took her focus off of Jesus himself. That, in a nutshell, is what Matthew 6 is about. Being consumed by otherwise legitimate concerns, but taking our eyes off of Christ. This is one of the most common issues in the church today. What are the roots of it? Well, look at Matthew 6, verse 30. One of the roots is weak faith. Again, remember I said a myth? It's not that anxiety equals weak faith, but weak faith may lead to this. What is weak faith? Well, we're not saved by the amount of faith we have. We're saved by Christ, the object of our faith. But when we doubt, when we don't trust God, we are saying, God, I don't think you're in control. I don't think you love me. I don't think you're going to take care of me. I don't think you're going to help me at all. In fact, I don't even know if you are aware of what I'm going through. That's the concern of verse 30. It's a practical atheism, acting as if God is completely removed from our struggle. 
Anxiety listens to lies, lies that are shouting at us, but lies nonetheless. So this form of anxiety, verse 30, is unbelief. Not trusting God, thinking that I've got to control everything, and if I can't control it, then no one will help. It's actually a form of pride. Why is that? Because we are taking concerns on ourselves instead of trusting them to God. Look at verse 25. Jesus says there's more symptoms here of anxiety. One of them comes from verses 19 to 24. Jesus in verse 25 of Matthew 6 says, therefore. Remember, kids, you ask, what is the therefore, therefore? He's drawing you back to earlier in the Sermon on the Mount. And in verses 19 to 24, he's talking about laying up treasures on earth. So some of our anxiety can be created by the treasures that we have. When we value them more than Christ, there's nothing wrong with having money or stuff or possessions. But Jesus says, if these things possess you, if you love them more than me, if you're preoccupied and fixated on them rather than thinking about me, that can be a cause of anxiety. According to Matthew 6, 24, another cause is when we have a divided mind. So we want to say, I want all the blessings of Christ in the gospel, and I want to serve these idols at the same time. Jesus says you can't do that. You can't have both your money, your career, your health, your looks, your kids, your family, your friends as your God, and God as your God. If you try to do that, it's a recipe for anxiety. So Jesus says, verse 25, these are the three things people often get anxious about. What we eat, what we drink, what we wear. Isn't it amazing how relevant the Bible is? What are advertisements all about? What do you eat? What do you drink? What do you wear? The God of our culture is ourselves. And an unbeliever thinks just about those things. Jesus says life is way more than that. And then he asks you to think, verse 27, Matthew 6. Does anxiety add to your life? Do you ever get bad news and say, I worried about it a lot and it got better? No. In fact, the opposite happens. This is from an article in Table Talk that a person wrote. What actually begins to happen from anxiety is we have physical effects. It's true that anxiety and trauma and melancholy can be perpetuated by unhealthy behavior. Diet, lack of exercise, lack of sleep, by unhealthy thought patterns, self-pity, by a lack of discipline and idleness and isolation, absolutely. And it's also true that conditions like chronic pain or long-term illness can cause anxiety. That can happen. The flip can also happen. Anxiety can cause physical health conditions. So 
the problem can become chronic anxiety leading to, and doctors talk about this, heart disease, digestive issues, acid reflux, irritable bowel, cancer. These are all from the article. Worrying yourself to death may be a truer danger than we thought. There's physical impacts. There's relational impacts. Anxiety can cause a lot of short-term memory loss. It can be hard to concentrate, hard to read. And it can make socialization difficult. One elderly woman said, I opened the door wide to dark thoughts, oblivious to what this was doing to me. I had real grief, yes, but my anxiety about the future prevented any sort of connection with other people. And that's what Satan wants, loved ones. Satan wants us to be inwardly focused, so consumed on ourselves that we are weighed down with burdens that we were not meant to carry. So we live life with these burdens and we just bump into people as we go. Just looking down, Look, looking at our belly button, weighing, weighed down by these things that we're meant to give to God, and it robs us of spiritual connections with people. It robs us of real friendships. Instead of being like a weaned child, we are agitated. Anxiety also can rob someone of the ability to serve. They're so focused on themselves, they're not looking out to others to love and serve them. What's the remedy, secondly? Jesus gives us many remedies. We need to remember that when we are anxious, when we are wondering what will happen when things haven't yet happened, we are not trusting in some ways in God's providence. Now, remember the myth. It's not a lack of trust equals anxiety. It's not just that. But this is a part of it for some people. So what are some practical things that will help when we're anxious? One thing is to stop obsessing over the news. To stop going to the news and continually looking at it because it's meant to increase your anxiety. It's meant to get you to click. And they want you to freak out and to act as if God is completely out of control. So that's one thing. Another thing, turn away from the phone and technology. Studies have shown the negative effects on mental health through spending so much time online, in front of a screen, whatever it might be. I'm not a Luddite. I'm not saying throw out your phone. I'm not saying it's wrong to look at Netflix. But think about where your heart, your time, your energy is focused. De-stress your life. Sometimes saying no to something can really help with anxiety. Rest. God has built in one day in seven for you to rest, Christian. Take the Sabbath day and rest. Enjoy God. Enjoy one another. Don't think that you can go 24-7. You can't. Your body will break down. God wants you to remember him and Christ and the gospel every day, but especially resting on the Sabbath. Eat well. This is not a particularly push for any sort of a fad or diet. I'm not at all wanting to do that. In fact, that can be very dangerous legalism, and we don't want to 
pound people over the head with that stuff. But just think about what you're eating. Talk to a trusted friend. That can help a lot. If you're able, exercise. Some people can't because of all sorts of physical ailments. But if you're able to, that can help. And according to Jesus, look at what he says in verse 26. Isn't this great? What helps us with our anxiety? Not a pill that just takes it away, but what helps? What does he say? Get outside, take a walk, and look. What does he want you to look at, kids? See what he says? Fix your eyes on the birds. Wow. Our family went to the wildlife refuge recently. Amazing. A big eagle, a big nest. Look at the birds. I actually really like looking at birds. I know that sounds kind of weird, but so much so that when I'm driving down the road, if there's a hawk or an osprey, I'll look up at it, and I'll look up at it way too long. I'm driving. And my wife will say, don't look at the bird, look at the road. <laughs> right? I really like birds. Now, when you look at the birds, what, what's the point that Jesus is making? None of the birds are suffering hypertension. None of them have stress-related disease, and none of them are worrying. Why? Because God is taking care of them. This time of year, when it rains, you go outside, what does it smell like, kids? It smells wormy. Right? There's worms all over the place. Our kids love to pick them up and put them in a bucket and go fishing with them. What is God providing for those birds at that time? Worms to eat. God is doing this for birds that he made. And now Jesus goes on from birds to plants. He says, in your anxiety, go look at the forest and look at that purple wildflower that no one else is noticing. And as you look at it, get up close to it. And as you get up close to it, as I'm struggling with my microphone, <laughs> see how detailed it is. God is the exquisite designer. He is the ultimate creator, the only creator. Not even Solomon in the Old Testament was dressed like one of these wildflowers. Jesus says, stop and look and consider. Martin Luther says, it seems that the flowers are making us blush because they're becoming our teachers. Thank you, flowers, who are about to be devoured by cows. God has exalted you so that you are our teacher. I love that. There's an argument here from the lesser to the greater. Birds of the air and grass and flowers don't have a relationship with God do they? Yet God cares for them. You, as Jesus' disciples, do have a relationship with your heavenly Father in Jesus. You're children of the living God. If God provides for that osprey, he will provide for you. So, Jesus says at the end of verse 25, don't be anxious about your life. What do you eat or drink or the clothes you wear? Now he's going from the greater to the lesser. He's saying, God gave you life. You're here because God made you. Will not God also take care of what you need to live? What do you need to live? Food, clothes, water, air. God knows you need these things. You're his child. 
God's promised to give you everything you need today. But you say, what happens when everything I fear actually takes place? Kevin DeYoung asked that question. What if my loved one doesn't get better? What if this sickness gets worse? What about people who live in certain parts of the world who don't have enough food and they die of starvation? What does Matthew 6 mean for that person? There are painful, hard, frightening things in the world. Life hurts. Jesus says in Luke 21, you will suffer and die, but but not a hair of your head will perish unless God wills it to be so. Jesus is saying there is more to your life than staying alive. Yes, God knows what you need to live. Yes, God will supply it for you. But you will not live one second longer or shorter than God has ordained for you to live. If our goal in a single-minded way is just to stay alive, we will all fail. That's the pagan view, that life is only about living and not about eternity with the Lord. Jesus here is not saying don't worry because there's an absence of trouble. He's saying don't worry because of the providence of God despite your trouble. That word providence the almighty, everywhere present power of God, where he upholds heaven and earth with all its creatures and governs them that all things come not by chance, but how? But by his fatherly hand. This is not just shove providence down someone's throat who's suffering with anxiety. Don't do that. This is not someone's really struggling and you just say, come on, providence, no. This is reminding all of us of the foundation of who God is. That we would rely not on ourselves, but on God. That afflictions and sufferings are ordained by God that we might be stripped of our self-reliance, our pride. That we might remember it is God's grace that is sufficient for us. That the snare might be there. The thorn might not go away, but you know who else is there? The Savior. So how are God's children to live? You see verse 33? Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. When you're dealing with worry and anxiety, which comes to all of us at different times, this verse can help. Stop and think. Am I seeking God's kingdom? What's the most important thing to me right now? What am I obsessed about? And not just am I seeking God's kingdom, but am I seeking it first? The problem is we are often consumed with our own kingdoms, with our own agendas. So then what do we do? We worry about tomorrow. What does Jesus say in verse 34, Matthew 6? Here's a paraphrase. Give your entire attention to what God is doing right now 
and don't get worked up about what may or may not happen tomorrow. God will help you deal with whatever hard things come up when the time comes. We might struggle to sleep at night, pondering all that tomorrow involves. I've struggled with that before. I've struggled with anxiety in particular these last few weeks in some profound ways. I know many of you have different struggles with this at different times. It's real. Sometimes I'll be awake at night, and this particular text, I pray, will help me, and I pray it will help you. Sometimes I'll be thinking about emails that have come or may come, potential bad news. Sometimes my wife will say she's thinking about monotonous tasks or the challenges with whatever that next day may bring. When we're anxious about tomorrow, we are being distracted from what is right in front of us. And our attention is focusing on just today. So what does Jesus say? He says, don't worry, be happy. No, he doesn't say that. He's not Bobby McFerrin. He says, don't worry about tomorrow. Loved ones, tomorrow could be worse. You have trials today. God will give you grace for today. Anxiety doesn't empty tomorrow of its sorrows, but it only empties today of its strength, Charles Spurgeon. Tomorrow, you will have tomorrow's trials. When you get to tomorrow, there will be grace for tomorrow. But don't be borrowing on tomorrow's troubles when you don't yet have tomorrow's grace. Anxiety is living out the future before it gets here. So when I lie awake at night, wondering, what if this doesn't get better? What will happen to my kids if, living out a thousand scenarios, tomorrow's not here yet? We don't know what will happen tomorrow. We don't know what will happen in our life in five years. But we do know this. When we wake up tomorrow, the Lord willing, God will have new gospel mercies for you tomorrow. God promises grace not for our imaginations, but only for reality. He promises new mercies for every morning, not for every imagined possibility. So where do we take our anxieties? They're going to come. They have come. They are there. Where do we take them? This is so practically important because we're tempted on our own to do a number of things. Stress shopping, stress eating, stress drinking, stress binge watching. In particular, the consumption of alcohol is way up over this past year. What about this question? How do we know when it's a legitimate care and what are sinful anxieties in our hearts? John Flavel. As long as the fear awakens you to pray, it is serviceable to your soul. When it only produces distraction and despondency of mind, it is your sin and Satan's snare. I've been thinking about that a lot this week. The anxious Christian must carefully think about our thoughts, our behavior, praying for self-control and being devoted to prayer. And what we need is an external word. We need the gospel. 
We need the promise that Jesus has mercy to pardon us, love to embrace us, blood to purge us. We need our faith to be filled with these things. We need to remember the already and the not yet. Already Christ has come. Already he is reigning. Already we are children of the living God. Not yet are we with him in glory. That's so important to us because sometimes we worry because we want the glory of heaven right now. And Jesus says, deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. Life is hard. The Savior himself lived a life of suffering and poverty and humiliation and death. We should expect no different. We are pilgrims on the journey to the celestial city of heaven with the Lord. Do you notice this very important thing? It's not that if you have enough faith, you permanently get rid of anxiety. So important. That is not what the Bible says. These are afflictions and trials, living in a fallen world. So where do we go? The gospel. We also go to the Psalms. The Psalms are a great garden to hang out in, to live in, to breathe in. One thing that I've been doing for you, God's people, as a congregation, is reading through your names in the church directory and then praying a psalm each day for you. I I go through about five or six names a day. The psalms of lament in particular have been on my mind for Wayne and Nikos and their family, for many of you. Psalm 69 was on my mind this week. God, we are afflicted. In our distress, help us to turn to you. Where else do we go? We go to 1 Peter 5. One way that we fight fear and anxiety is to humble ourselves. Do you remember, in some cases, anxiety may be because of pride. Not every case. So what does Peter say? Humble yourselves, casting your anxieties upon the Lord because he cares for you. That's what Hannah did in 1 Samuel. She was burdened. She goes to the Lord in prayer, and she gives all of her burdens to God. Dear Christian, that's what God wants you to do. He's your father. Whatever anxiety you have, give it to him. Cry out physically. Cry out in your words. Cry out with your spouse, with a friend on the phone, on your knees, with your eyes open, with your Bible open, with your hands raised, however it might be. Maybe you can't do that. Maybe some of you I know have been struggling with sickness that you can hardly murmur a word. Psalm 31 may help. David just cries out, God, be gracious. Hear my prayer. And as we trust by faith in Jesus, we have confidence and do not need to fear what is to come. What is that? Ultimately, the judgment. 1 John 4 says a day of judgment is coming, a day that someone who is not trusting in Christ has good reason to fear. But for the Christian, you can be confident. Do you know why? Not because you're strong in yourself. Not because, oh, the strong don't get anxious. That's a lie. Your confidence is in Jesus 
The only way to not be fearful or anxious of the coming judgment is to trust in Jesus by faith. In the death of Jesus, we see the love of God perfected. That love casts out fear of what? Fear of the coming judgment. So that we have a a fear of the Lord that is a, a fear that loves the Lord. Not a fear that is scared of what is to come. A fear that trusts the Lord. And we who are in Christ love because he first loved us. This is the final biblical remedy to fear and anxiety. It's love. That when God's spirit is at work, he drives these fears out, replaces them with love. This happens in our marriages. This happens in any relationship. That because God loved us, we are now given grace to love that person, to reach out to them when before we were self-focused. Not to think that they can fill us in every way and meet all our needs. Only Jesus is the joy and treasure of our hearts. Here's how this applies to anxiety. The right person who loves you, who understands and who has compassion for you, who is strong for you, all our anxieties and fears are in search of that person. For all of us. You know who that is. It's the Lord Jesus. He says, I am with you always to the end of the age. Jesus did not come for those who are well. He came for the sick. He didn't come for the strong. He came for the weak, for the foolish, to die for sinners like us. And he is with you in whatever anxiety you have. He is with you one day as you go through the valley of the shadow of death. So let's encourage each other. Let's press on by faith together, knowing that the Lord is near And so do not be anxious about anything, Paul says, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. And all God's people said, amen. Let's pray. Father, we pray that you, by your Son and by your Spirit and by your Word, would bring comfort to the weary and brokenhearted, that we would encourage each other today, that we would bear each other's burdens today, that we would lift our eyes to Jesus today. O Lord, hear our prayer for Jesus' sake. Amen.